You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Animal Party is brought to you by Dog.com. For everything and anything dog, shop Dog.com today for all the top brands. Greenies, Frontline, Kong, Nylabone, Royal Canin, and more. Shop at Dog.com and use the promo code SADPARTY, S-A-D-P-A-R-T-Y, and get $15 off your order of $75 or more. Hello! Welcome to Animal Party. You're back. You're wearing your party clothes. It's that time of the week. It's time to party hardy with your animals here on Pet Life Radio. And today I have a really good guest. You better put your thinking cap on today. I hope you ate protein for breakfast because we need to use our brains today. We've got Allie Phillips coming in and she'll be talking to us about what you can do where you live to make a big difference. Sometimes people don't even realize some of the nasty things that are happening to animals in their area. And you think, well, it doesn't affect me. Yeah, it might. It might. You lose your cat for a day or two, and your cat could end up in the worst circumstances. So we're going to be talking to Allie about how you can stop all that. And it's pretty pretty easy to do. There are step-by-step ways to do it, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. There's easy ways to get on board here and make sure that your neighborhood isn't doing horribly cruel things without you knowing But we're going to also go beyond that. We're going to talk about some programs she started that help abuse victims, particularly children and women, with um, what what do they do when they have to run away from a nasty, nasty, violent situation and they don't want to leave the dog or the kitten or the bunny. What do they do about that? Does, Does the abuser get to keep them there or hold the pet hostage? What can we do about that? So we'll be finding out about that and some other things too from Allie Phillips. Welcome to the show, Allie. It's great to have a lawyer on and not charging us. So thank you very much for coming to the show today. Oh, thank you. So I know you used to work with children who were in terrible situations. And I guess I guess something about that got you working to connect the people who help the abused children and the people who help the abused animals, connect them all together. So can you tell us a little bit about that? how that happened? Well, it all started when I was a prosecuting attorney back home in Michigan and just helping all types of victims, particularly those who were victims of violent crime, like children who had been abused and domestic partners who had been abused. I started to notice a connection to their pets being abused. And this really drove it home for me when I was volunteering at our local animal control shelter and saw pets being taken away from the same people who were charged with serious violent crimes. Mm-hmm. And so I started making that connection and started working to educate on how to better protect children, some very innovative ways to protect children. And of course, children and animals go together. They really do. You just cannot separate them. And so I started making that linkage that what a better way to help a child heal from their own experience than to be connected with animals, particularly their own animals. And and that's how I ended up creating a program called the Pets and Women Shelters Program, the PAWS program. And that program is all about um, providing guidelines and encouraging domestic violence shelters to allow families to 
to bring their pets with them when they're fleeing an abusive home. And for children in particular, that can be so important when they have truly lost everything. They may not even have their favorite stuffed animal or their favorite toy, but boy, if they've got their dog or cat or rabbit or hamster with them, all the other material goods don't seem to matter. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, and we're going to be talking about a very strange sentence that came down and why this isn't so strange. A fish. Guy kills a fish, and he gets two years in jail. I'll explain that after the break. We're going to break. we got to listen to our sponsors because they're the ones that make this party possible. But when we come back, we'll be hearing more from Allie Phillips and all the different things she's doing to make it better for the true victims of our society, the animals and the kids who are suffering. And this is a feel-good show because she's making a difference, and you can too. So stay tuned. Come back after the commercials, and we'll be back to the party. Because the best is yet to come. Stick around. At Petco, we really love pets. There isn't anything we won't do to make sure they're getting the best products and the best care. So when you ask us a question like, So how do you feel about cat condos? We can say from experience, Feels like home. Enter the code PARTY10, P-A-R-T-Y, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. Celebrate your special occasion and give her this classic semi-eternity band created with one-carat brilliant diamonds channel set in 14-carat white gold. Exclusively yours from ICE.com. Free shipping over $150, free returns, and 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to ICE.com and use promo code ACTFP and get 20% off your purchase. Or use promo code ADTFP and get 20% off at Diamond.com. ICE.com or Diamond.com. Get 20% off from Pet Life Radio. Would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of Info Seed or email us at PetLifeRadio.com. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Hi, this is Tim Link, host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join me as we feature interviews with best selling pet related authors, award winning writers, journalists, and bloggers. And we'll tell stories about the animals and interesting topics about the animals in our lives. Each of the interviews will give you a first hand knowledge about why the authors and writers chose a particular story, what the feature animals meant to them, and what has become of those animals that we've talked about. And of course, I'll also share stories from my own books, blogs, articles, and experiences. So be sure to join me and the writers and authors on Animal Rights. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. You're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. 
You're back to Animal Party, and we're here with Allie Phillips. She's an advocate for animals, and she's helping make things safer all over the United States. So, Allie, you were telling me how when a kid's really been through a lot, maybe a victim of, of domestic violence or sexual abuse or witnessed it, and they're going through the process, they're going into the system, they're going to have to testify, perhaps, or at least tell adults about what happened. Okay, so you're making it so that when they're in there, they've got an animal. Is that right? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, and that, that's actually a second program that I helped to co-create about placing therapy animals with children as they go through the court process. Uh, because for anyone listening who has ever had to go to court, maybe they got called for jury duty or they had to go and deal with a feeding ticket, it's nerve-wracking for an adult. Now imagine you're six years old and you need to go and testify in front of a room full of strangers about something terrible that happened to you or something terrible that happened to a parent. And it's Or by a parent to another parent. So you're supposed to take sides. That's another awkward part of all this. It's terrible. And, and it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible thing for children to go through. And so why not provide them a little bit of comfort? And there's therapy animal programs popping up all over the country specifically assigned to help in the court system. Well, you know, up here recently, there was a terrible murder of a young woman, and the family was distraught, heartbroken. It was just awful in a place called Delta, which is a suburb of Vancouver. And for the first time ever, they had exactly what you just mentioned. They had a, a therapy dog assigned to the Delta Police Force, a Labrador, Labrador Retriever that was trained by PADS, just trained to do therapy. And this dog works there full time. And it helped those people. It really did. I mean, they're coming in distraught at their worst. They have to talk about something they don't want to talk about. And the dog has given them nothing but comfort, no judgments, just affection in the moment, comfort, going to the person who needs it most like he's trained to do. It's incredible how that helps people. I can only imagine what that would do for kids. It's really heartwarming to watch the children relate to these therapy animals and especially the children who are so closed down and they're so, you know, wrapped in their own inner world of what happened to them or what they may have witnessed. And then to watch a therapy animal literally unlock that child's inner world and that child's words. And I've actually seen children make disclosures to therapy animals. They lift the ear of the dog or they whisper right to the cat's ear of what happened. And that's the start of the healing process. And, and I think anyone who works in the field of protecting children, not only do we want to get them into a safe place, but we want to make them whole. We want to take them right back to square one where this did not happen. And that's difficult to do but it's much easier when you put a therapy animal in the picture. Well, I'm thinking about how it must feel to these kids. I mean, they're terrified. They've just been through something horrible, but now they're in a building they don't know with people they don't know, and it smells wrong, and it sounds wrong, and there's adults all around them. It might be the middle of the night. They might be in their pajamas. You know, there they are in this situation. And what do they see? They see a bunny or a cat or a dog that isn't stressed out, that isn't in jeopardy. They see a tiny little animal more vulnerable than themselves, and the animal is okay. So that's got to, you know, even without consciously understanding that, that's got to really help them. 
on a really primitive level, to walk into a situation where there's some little tiny defenseless little creature and it's fine, it's running on its little wheel or it's purring up against them, you know, that's got it. It just must send so many signals to them to relax, you're safe. It does, and it really does show to the children that it is a safe place because, I mean, how cool is that to walk into <laughs> a children's advocacy center or a police station or a courtroom and there's a therapy animal. All of a sudden, everyone in that room, all the professionals, are not the big scary adults who are going to ask about difficult things, but they're the cool people who have a therapy mm-hmm. dog or a therapy cat. And it, this is why I was so passionate about this issue I coordinated with a former colleague of mine who runs the Animal Assisted Therapy Program with the American Humane Association, and together we co-created Therapy Animal Supporting Kids. And if anyone is interested in reading the guidelines that we put together on how exactly you can do this to benefit children, I have the guidelines as a free download off of my website. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about this, but maybe people don't realize how strong a connection there is. Like we've been talking about children needing animals to make them feel better when they're at their worst and why it's so important. I think there are some people listening who would say, look, if a family's in jeopardy, forget about the animal, get the human safe. But I think that's overlooking the fact that the animal can be a bargaining chip, right? And maybe you could explain that a little bit. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's what we call the co-occurrence between animal cruelty and violence to people Some people call it the link um, or linkages from animal cruelty to human violence. And what the research has shown, and it's not just research in the United States, but it is internationally recognized research, that when people are cruel to animals, they are more likely to be cruel to humans. And we find that when people are cruel to animals, sometimes it is, as like you said, a bargaining chip. These animals are targeted. And they may be targeted to secure silence or compliance from adult and child victims because if you were being abused and your abuser says to you, if you tell anyone I'm going to kill your cat, a lot of people would keep quiet in order to keep their pets safe. And it's, it's part of the control mechanism of these abusers to keep their victims silent and compliant. And so that's why it is so important when a family is To the point where they can safely leave an abusive home, they cannot leave the pet behind because what a better tool for the abuser to say, if you do not come back right now, your dog is dead. Yeah, yeah, it's just terrible. And and like you were saying, the kids at that point in their life, the thing they need most is that pet with them, not somewhere else. But there they are. They're running. The mom's scared. Maybe it's not the mom. Maybe it's the dad. But there's a grown-up taking care of the kids who's scared, and they're running, and they're trying to get help, and they're going to a shelter. And when they get there, they're not exactly going to get open arms when they show up with their partly house-trained gigantic mutt or their cat who hates everybody, right? I mean, sometimes it's – and I'm sure when you began this work, these animals were not being received well. So what do we do about that, and what are you doing about that? Well, knowing that there's about 2,500 family violence shelters in the United States and about five or six years ago when I, when I seriously started training on this issue, an issue that I had thought up back in the mid-90s when I was a prosecutor, but when I really started training others about, you know, hey, you can do this and here are some guidelines that I've put together 
At the time, I only knew of about four out of 2,500 shelters that were doing this. And so I got a little fed up and decided, you know what, if I really believe in this, I kind of I need to put my money where my mouth is. So I wrote the guidelines and launched the Pets and Women Shelters program. And like you said, it, it could even be uh, you know men who are victims of domestic violence, and there are many shelters who accept male victims. But primarily, the shelters are housing women, hence the name Pets and Women Shelters Program. And what this program does, and through very simple, easy-to-implement guidelines, is show them how they can allow families to bring their pets on site. And there's three different housing systems for how you can do this. The first is obviously putting the pets right into the room with the families. Many of these shelters are set up like hotels where each family can have their own room. Why oh, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah that's why the not best. the cat or dog with them? Um, but for shelters who are concerned about allergies, maybe there's other residents there who have allergies, the second option is to find a space inside the shelter, maybe a spare room, that can act as an indoor kennel. And then that's a way to better control allergies. And maybe if there's concerns about barking or cats meowing all night, they're more secured and off to the side. The Naples, Florida shelter does that and has that sort of model. And and it's beautiful and it works wonderfully. And then the third option, if none of those work, if you don't have the room inside or you're concerned about allergies, why not build a little backyard kennel? And... That's what I've been helping a lot of shelters to do is is how to, you know, create these little backyard kennels and maybe little dog runs and make it safe so that when other residents, including children, are out in this backyard, they don't have to worry about anybody being bit. And and they can safeguard the animals and make sure that everyone is safe in the process. And so the PAUSE program startup guide, which is also available as a free download off of my website, details exactly how to do this. And it's really taken off like wildfire. Uh, It launched about three years ago, and we grew from four shelters to 60. Oh, my goodness. That's great. That's four to 60. That's huge. But, you know, that leaves a lot out. And I want people to know that if you're in an abusive situation, if you're in a situation where you think you've got to get out for the safety of yourself or your kids, your own sanity, your own well-being, you have to get out and you have a pet and you know that your area shelter doesn't take pets, take your pet with you anyway. Show up there with your pet and they'll find somebody. They'll find somebody like me probably, somebody who runs a kennel or cat rescue place or a link, you know, a, a group of foster networking pet lovers. They'll find some place for your pet to be for a couple of weeks or a month without costing you so you can get out of this situation. Nobody wants you to put you and your children at risk and your pet at risk just because there's no room right now. So I just wanted to put that out there. Yes, and and there's actually two different websites that provide uh, shelters and resources for families in need. The concept that you were talking about where the pets are maybe put in an off-site location, such Mm -hmm. as a foster home, a boarding facility, a veterinary clinic. Exactly. There's a list of participating agencies willing to help on a website uh, by Ahimsa House. And that's A-H-I-M-S-A house.org. And if you go to that website, you'll find the listing. And this is a program we often call Safe Havens. Nice. So so I would encourage listeners to 
take a look at that website. And then for the on-site housing, the pause program type housing, my website has a listing of all the participating shelters, and the list grows every week oh, and excellent. every day. So if somebody listening right now, you know, we have to go to commercial break, so we'll have to talk about this when we come back. But if somebody listening right now is thinking, you know, I want to help, okay, I, I have a dog who loves children and it's really well trained, how can I help? How can I visit kids who need this? Or, you know, if people are out there and they're thinking they want to help, okay, we'll tell you about that. And we're also going to be telling you about something dangerous that is probably going on in your neighborhood and you don't even know. If your cat or dog goes missing for a couple of weeks, maybe you're out of town and your mother's looking after your dog and he goes missing and she tries to keep it secret and doesn't tell you right away, your dog could end up somewhere really, really bad. So we're going to talk about that and how you can stop that after the commercial break when we come back to the party with our animal advocate guest, Allie Phillips. And thank you so much, Allie. This has been so informative so far. We'll be back. Stay tuned to the animal party. Don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash party, P-A-R-T-Y, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more. FTD's network of over 40,000 florists around the world have been creating beautiful handcrafted arrangements for 100 years. Each arrangement is delivered the same day and backed by FTD's seven-day satisfaction guarantee. For a century, people have trusted their most important occasions to the flower experts at FTD. Since Pet Life Radio is all about puppy dogs and flowers, our listeners, that's you, can get a 20% discount on your order. Just go to florop.com and use the code LUCKYS20 at checkout. F-L-E-U-R-O-P dot com. Code word L-U-C-K-Y-S and the number 20. There's a movement afoot. Shoebuy.com. Join the millions of people who shop Shoebuy.com's over 400 brands and 500,000 products. Order now and get free shipping and free return shipping. Shoebuy.com, the world's greatest shoe store. Walk your dog in style and comfort. Enter the code ANIMAL, A-N-I-M-A-L, at checkout and get a 10% discount plus free shipping at Shoebuy.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service is the best, most cost-effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of Info Seed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. 
Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. You're, you're, you're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. You're back at the party, the animal party on Pet Life Radio with your host, Deborah Wolf. And with me today is Allie Phillips. She's been lobbying in Washington, but before that, she was a lawyer working for kids and now working for animals and kids. And um, I was telling you about that fish. Okay, so why would a man get sentenced to two years in jail for killing a fish? Well, the reason is because he used it to really psychologically damage a child. The fish was the child's pet the goldfish, and he killed it in front of the child to hurt the child. And I think it's great that the court saw through the fact that it's just a fish and replacement values, 69 cents, or that kind of thing that often courts take more into account, treating pets like property. This particular occasion, they got it. They understood that this was a cruelty, not just to the fish, but also to the kid. And so that's the story behind that. I want to know, Allie, before we move on to the next topic, do you think the law is moving in a good direction toward animals? I notice custody battles about them, and sometimes there's uh, settlements that provide for animals after people die. These things seem to be getting better. There's some high-profile cases like Michael Vick. I don't know if that's a good outcome or a bad outcome. Is it strict enough? Is it not strict enough? I hear he wants to own a dog. What do you think about that? Well, I am all for people getting second chances, but I just cannot shake the concept that when somebody kills a child, we don't allow them to then subsequently adopt a child. Exactly. So, And it, it wasn't an accident. It was electrocution, strangulation, horrible, horrible, conscious, right. violent and actions committed against a, d- several dogs that were his. It's exceptional. Yeah, and I, I, I just think it's too soon. It's too soon. If he were to have said this 15, 20 years down the road, I don't think anybody would care at that point. He just doesn't have enough compassion, visible compassion under his belt. And he shouldn't certainly have to convince America that he's going to be a good pet owner, but he did put himself back in the public eye, so in essence he does. Oh, I don't know about whether he shouldn't. I think if someone is convicted, and we're talking convicted, of something like, and you you said it about children, but something like, say they were running a daycare and they abused a whole lot of children. It doesn't matter how much community service and how much apologizing they do. They're never going to be allowed to open up another daycare, and they shouldn't be. And they're never going to be allowed to take on a foster kid or adopt a child or tutor or be a Boy Scout leader or coach hockey. I mean, and should they? No, they shouldn't. Because... I think we figured out that these things aren't just choices. I mean, there's, there's definitely something different about the person who does this, something that maybe they can't control, something maybe medical, maybe chemical, but certainly 
this person is not fit to be with children after they've been serially abusing them. And I would say the same for animals. But um, this is kind of leading into our next topic. because. But before, we talked about the fish. We talked about all that. But when you think about your own community, you might be sitting there now thinking, okay, well, Michael Vick is far from me. My dog's not a pit bull. It's not a fighting dog. And, you know, my, there's no domestic violence in my home. So my animals are safe. Today's show doesn't apply to me. But that's not exactly true because I've been hinting at it all along. If your cat goes missing for a day or two or your dog goes missing for a day or two, somebody who's doing the right thing might pick up your dog or cat and take them to the local shelter. You know, yeah, good on them. Thank you. Except stuff can go wrong there, can't it, Allie? Can you tell everybody what might be happening at their local shelter and what they can do to make sure it's not? Well, there is still a very secretive practice going on in American shelters called pound seizure. And pound seizure involves shelter cats and dogs being taken from the shelter for experimentation or research. And people that are hearing this are probably thinking, how is that happening? Why are we doing this in our shelters? And this is exactly why I wrote a book with, which was published this past fall called How Shelter Pets Are Brokered for Experimentation to really raise awareness about this issue. And although it is on the decline, it is still prevalent in some shelters. And when we look at that 33 states still allow the practice of pound seizure, two states of which mandate it, Oklahoma and Minnesota, it should cause concern, not only for the people and the pet owners in those states, but for people all across the country. Because I think we've heard so many stories where a dog is in its front yard in Florida, disappears, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ends up in Minnesota. And there are a lot of people that traffic animals, and sometimes these animals end up being trafficked to shelters. Oh, this is like money-making. Is that what you're telling me, that they're getting paid to send these animals on to the labs and they're actually, maybe they're posting ads online, puppy wanted, foster hope, and then taking them and getting them from places and maybe stealing them? Is this what's going on? It's a little subset of pound seizure, um, but there are people that profit off of this. There are USDA, U.S. Department of Agriculture, Class B dealers, of which there are only nine left in the country that broker live shelter cats and dogs for research. But if they go into a shelter, they are taking these former family pets and then reselling them off for a profit to experimentation and training facilities. But then there are also, it's, it's kind of an underground group of people called bunchers, Most often they are not licensed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture to broker animals, but they obtain animals, sometimes from free-to-good-home ads, sometimes stray animals, and they end up then re-brokering them either through the Class B dealers or dropping them off at a shelter so that a dealer can get them. It's a very secretive, very underground practice, but it is happening, and there is one particular story that sticks in my mind, it actually just happened a couple of years ago, where a dog did disappear from her front yard in Florida. Three years later, three years later, this dog ended up at a shelter in mid-Michigan, a shelter that engaged in pound seizure. The dog, on her first day, 
being eligible for adoption, so five days later, was then sold to a Class B dealer. Wasn't even put up for adoption. Immediately went to the Class B dealer, and it was discovered that this dog had a tattoo. Right. Don't, a- don't ask me why, but this Class B dealer had a- had some sort of stroke of consciousness and oh. called, the- called the tattoo oh. registry, and the tattoo registry luckily had caller ID and knew exactly who was calling, got the number off a of caller ID, contacted the owner, and let's just say this dog is now in a safe place. Wow. Oh, but yeah. what a journey. What, what a, journey. a journey. It was a three-year journey. We do not know where this dog was in those three years, but how did the dog get from Florida up to Michigan? We don't know. But this is what happens, and this is why, although pound seizure is only in 33 states, while we allow this in our country, no pet is safe. No cat or dog is safe. And so we need to be really diligent about this and, you know, just really and be it's, careful with our pets. You know, it's so distressing to me to hear this because breed bands feed into it. And then I think of situations up here like, 10 years ago, I overheard a conversation between two rescue workers where they were really angry because they had found foster homes and they'd found permanent forever homes for a bunch of dogs that were on death row at a shelter in Chilliwack and they couldn't get them out of there. They couldn't because they had to not only find a home and rescue the dog and agree to take them and transport them and sign over and all that, but they also would have had to pay $50 per dog, which back then was a lot. It still is a lot if you're rescuing, you know, and the... uh, and the logic was that if they didn't do it, the shelter got paid $50 for each dog they handed over to the euthanasia. So it sounds to me like they weren't being euthanized after all. They were actually going to, to be used for labs. And the things they go for, I mean, it's so unnecessary. You know, there's, maybe we should tell people about that. If you want to buy products that weren't tested on your neighbor's lost dog and your friend's missing cat, if you want to buy products that are clean, you can, right? Oh, absolutely. There's a wonderful website called leapingbunny.com, and it, it, you just look for the little leaping bunny on the back of household cleaning products and cosmetics, and there are more companies coming on board. You can even walk into Target or your local grocery store and find products now that are not tested on animals. You do not have to go to some fancy exclusive boutique to find these products. You can walk into Target and get them. So this is one way, very simple way, that people can help put an end to the need of animals in research. And what a simple way to become an animal advocate. And and this is one thing that I feature in my new book of, of just how you can do simple, everyday things that collectively it's going to change the face of how we deal with animals. When you talk about these people, these bunchers and these Class B dealers, I mean, I just can't even imagine. Imagine being married to somebody like that or being that person and going to bed each night. And I mean, just uh, the worst job on earth. I mean, what karma have you got from that one? That's just horrible. What a terrible situation to well, be I, I, I to can be tell you that these people, and, and I have dealt with them face-to-face, and I can tell you that these people who do broker animals for research Mm-hmm. passionately believe in what they are doing, just uh-huh. as you and I passionately believe in the opposite. Oh, do they believe they're curing diseases? Is that their take on it? 
Absolutely. And uh-huh. have, I I, I've assisted with many local campaigns, particularly in my home state of Michigan, where pound seizure is still a blight on shelters there. And as we went shelter to shelter to abolish this practice, the dealers would parade in the cancer survivors to talk about how Fido, who was pulled out of a dumpster with mange and fleas, cured their cancer. Well, I think right. you and I and your listeners know Right now, there is no cure for cancer, sadly. Yeah, and it's, and it's well, the, see, the thing about this that drives me crazy, okay, there's a couple things. First of all, we talked about the fact that this dog with a tattoo made it all the way through where it shouldn't have gone through. You got an ID chip or a tattoo on your dog or cat, every shelter, every vet clinic, every animal professional should be able to identify that dog and get it back to you. So there's some nastiness going on here. There's people not looking. There's people not trying, or maybe they're just so overworked they can't, but... It's no guarantee. Now, you still should tag ID and tattoo your pets. You really should. They say that if they're not tattooed, 97% of cats never come home. So if they don't have any ID on them, they're not coming back. They're just not. You might think your dog or cat is really easy to identify, but I've had some really almost funny situations where I've called the local SPCA for some people or the local pound and said, you know, we're looking for a missing toy Bichon. Bichon dog, Bichon Frise, looks like a toy poodle. It's white. They say, no, it's not here. I go down, and there it is, right there. There it is. And they say, oh, no, that's a miniature poodle, and it's gray. Well, no, it's a Bichon Frise, and it's dirty, but it is a white Bichon Frise. You know, stuff like this, you think it's hard with dogs? Try with cats. You are not going to be able to have your cat return to you if it has no ID, no matter how much you think it looks different than the other cats at the shelter. There's going to be a hundred there that are mostly black or black and white or tabby, you know, so you've really got to need to ID them. But um, it bothers me so much that they're talking about this because, of course, you know, people like you and me, we want cancer cured. We want help for sick people. But there's so many pets out there. And the commonality between dogs and humans in terms of disease and curative measures and research is huge. So dogs are often used with things, and we often discover treatments through dogs that help humans and vice versa. So there is a simpatico there. But there are dogs all over with cancer waiting for operations or not getting operations who need these operations. If you're going to be learning and that's the tier you're talking about, not the cosmetics and the cleaners, and the, which is probably the bulk of the animals, but the few that are actually going to universities to train veterinarians. That tier of these animals that are sent for experiments, that group, why not have a registry instead? There's so many people out there, for example, who want a, a joint replacement or an ACL surgery. Dog is limping. Dog has a bad joint. Dog has a bum leg. Dog's hip joint isn't right. And there's a surgery they can get, but it costs five, six, ten thousand dollars $10,000. Okay, if they go to the vet clinic, it might cost them one or $2,000 or the vet school. But the vet school has lineups. You might have to wait two years for that. Okay, how come? If they need these animals to train on, why can't we set up a registry, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, right now, my Siamese cat is part of a clinical study on the correlation between kidney decline and high blood pressure. And once I just had to take him in once to have an exam and have his blood tested and his, his blood pressure taken. And I was thrilled to do that. He was not. But he came home home a half an hour later, and and once he shook off his grumpiness and and had his dinner, he was fine. And I could rest assured that no shelter cat was being taken for that purpose and then being euthanized because they didn't know what to do with the cat. 
Well, it's both ends. It's both ends. Yeah. You're going to get an animal that needed something it couldn't have. Maybe the people are going to euthanize their dog because they can't afford the surgery. Okay, now the animal gets what it needs, but the students also get the training they need. I mean, it's absolutely so sensible. And in the era of Facebook, when you could be setting up things for people to sign on to and join, it could be so easily accomplished if they're open to it. And I guess the way they're going to get open to it is by people making the demand. Is that what you're suggesting in the book, how to do it, how to get them moving? Absolutely. The, the book is filled with all sorts of advocacy tips on how to get involved, how to use your Is this voice. like letters or emails or like what are you telling people to do? What can, what's a, give me something that people will learn from your book. Well, depending on where they live and whether they have a pound seizure shelter in their community, um, I mean, the first thing is to really find out, do they have okay. pound seizure in their community? And if they do then, you know, working with the shelter to abolish that practice, working with others in the community, writing letters, go to community leaders, ask them to change the practice. And, and I can say it works because I've been a part of four different advocacy efforts to ban that practice in four different Michigan communities. And when people band together, it works. Okay, so people... They don't know maybe if it's happening in their area. They go to the local shelter and they ask and they get a wishy-washy answer or maybe the people say no, but they don't believe them. I mean, you're not exactly going to have this put on the brochure, right? This is something that's going to be hard to find out. So what, how do they really find out if it's going on in their neighborhood? Because I, I can't imagine any shelter worker saying, oh, yes, yes, we take healthy dogs right after they're admitted and before they've had their time to be shown for adoption, and we send them off to labs for cruel experiments. They're not going to tell you that, I don't think. Exactly. It, it is a secretive practice, and really the best way to find out is to connect with other animal advocates, other animal protection organizations in the community, because if those animal groups, are pulling animals from the shelter in question, they're going right. to know. They okay, know. so the way you do that, you could do a Google search with your area and animal rescue or pet rescue. You could also go to your veterinarian and just look at the bulletin board. There's going to be somebody on there that's doing some do-gooder type thing for animals, call them. They'll know everybody else is doing the same kind of stuff in your area. They're all friends, at least they are here, and uh, they'll be able to figure out what's going on for you. So if you find out it's there... The book will tell you what to do about it, right? If you find out in your area it's happening. But even if it's not happening in your area, what you're telling me is as long as there's a demand and people are getting paid for found, stolen dogs and cats, they're going to be taking them. And so yours could be at risk no matter where you live. Exactly. And that's why supporting legislation to ban these practices is very important. So even if you do not live in a community with pound seizure, but your state still permits it, Find out if there's going to be legislation to ban the practice. And a good way to find out is through my website, AlliePhillips.com, because I'm tracking all of that legislation. And if there is a petition out there to support banning pound seizure, I have petition links on my website. Um, but there are also efforts at the federal level, and I'm hoping this one particular bill will be refiled again. This is going to be about the 10th time that it's been filed, but it's called the Pet Safety and Protection Act. And although it doesn't formally ban pound seizure, it doesn't ban research facilities and these bee dealers from going into shelters to take out animals. What it does is it, it comes at it from the other end and says, if you are a research facility getting federal funds 
which many do, mm-hmm. the bill says you will not take an animal from a Class B dealer. And so what it does is it cuts off uh, the demand. Oh, that's interesting. So what are the Class B dealers doing then? If not, I don't understand. Oh, it would eliminate them, basically. Well, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't eliminate them because Class B dealers can do other things, can broker. They, the Class B dealers would still be able to go into shelters and get animals and maybe resell them to veterinary clinics or medical school. Okay, I see what you're That saying. don't get federal funds. So the federal bill um, is certainly going to close up the demand on one end. It doesn't completely abolish pound seizure across the board, which is why tackling it at the state level and sometimes just at the local level is the most effective way to do this. When I was back in university, there was a course I took offered by a group of veterinarians who kind of rotated around the country. It was offered through the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association. I had to spell it out because CVMA. And uh, they came around and they taught you how dogs learn, how dogs think, this and that. And one of the classes they gave with a slideshow was really, really hard to sit through. A lot of them were, actually, because the roots of, of what they were teaching, the way that the research had been done in other decades previous, was really nasty. Things like Skinner boxes where an animal's put into something that shocks it so you can measure how it reacts to being electric shocked and horrible, horrible things to try and figure out the basics of animal behavior. And it was a really, really hard part of the class to sit through. But that was, there was a component that was ethics and we, we kind of explored this. And we looked at how often research was done with animals that didn't need to be done or could have been done in a kinder way, or could have had a different outcome. And people are thinking of their own little picture. And I remember one time you telling me of something that reminded me of that. But the kind of thing is, you know, doing a procedure that really there's no, there's no reason for doing it, there's no result that could happen, and yet the animals endure a lot of pain. But in the time when I was talking to you, you mentioned something about spay and neuter that really hit home for me. And can you talk about that a little bit, that, that sometimes the small picture thinking... They'll spay and neuter a dog, and then they'll, they'll actually kill it. Yes, and, and when a veterinary school goes to a local shelter to get cats and dogs to practice spay-neuter techniques to train the students on, that's pound seizure because you're taking a shelter cat and dog for experimentation or training. But what we're finding and what we did find in the past was that after they were finished with the spay or the neuter, while the animal was still under being anesthetized, they would euthanize the animal. And to me, and to many people, that didn't make sense because that animal was now more adaptable. That animal could go back to the shelter and had a better chance of being adopted because a very expensive procedure was just covered and paid for. And oh, it so- makes so much sense. And there's probably yeah. another part of the budget going out to spay and neuter different animal. It makes no, like, why not adopt that animal? It's just done a good deed. Let it live. Exactly. That's how I think about and, it. And so that, that's been changing over the years, uh, that sort of thinking, and more animals are being sent back to the shelter to be adopted. But still, there, there is this segment of society that is still involved in this old way of thinking. This old way of, well, they're just animals, who cares? You know, we'll just euthanize them. They're just using them as tools. Well, I'm sorry, an animal is not a tool, and the research is showing that. I mean, if anybody uh, read uh, the most recent 
Time Magazine. Uh, there was also a National Geographic article about what animals know, what animals feel. I mean, there was, there was well, a it's dog incredible that, what they know. I mean, even just recently, a, a dog, a border collie, he just blew everybody away. We thought the smartest dogs knew 250 or 300 words. There was a toy poodle in Ottawa yeah. that demonstrated 300. Well, this guy, he's at 1,000 words. In fact, 1,022 objects by command to the point where the humans who trained the dog cannot do this. They have to keep lists. They can't remember. I mean, I certainly couldn't remember 1,022 different exact green, ball, red, bone, yellow. There's no way I'd have to keep a list. So I think it's so funny. This dog is clearly smarter than they are. But there's also evidence, new evidence that I really, it just, it's so layered. The idea that if you take a dog or a cat, any animal actually, and you harm it, you cause it pain, you beat it up or do something horrible to it, in a room where there's other animals, they might not even have to see it. They might not even have to hear it. They're just in the same area. You can measure their blood and see that their body's under stress. They empathically, emotionally connect to the animal you're abusing. So there's a sensitivity and a communication going on there. Far beyond the basic, you know, go get ball, bring back ball, eat food that we tend to want to think. When we want to treat animals badly, I think humans have a tendency to call anything they want to abuse stupid. It's okay to eat chicken if they're dumb. It's okay to eat turkey if it's stupid. It's okay to experiment on dogs. They don't know anyway. It's all right to leave your cat when you sell your house. It won't know the difference. That's not true. None of that is true. It's all not true. Dogs and cats, they not only can think and act, and some say, like Stanley Korn, Intelligence of Dogs, says they're about a two- to three-year-old level of intelligence, most dogs, but I think that's only on some levels. On other levels, like ability to, to read a human, ability to read your emotional stability, your physical stability, whether you're pregnant or not pregnant, whether you're stressed out, whether you're upset, whether you're violent, whether you're dangerous, whether you're a threat, all these type of things that humans aren't very good at reading, dogs are far and away better than we are. In, in just so much more so that it's, it's not even worth comparing, really. We're dummies. And so how does that rank us against them? Maybe they should be eating us, you know? So <laughs> I have trouble with all this hierarchy where you say, okay, well, I'm above you, so therefore I can do anything I want to you. You know, if I am above you, then uh, isn't it my obligation to take care of you, wouldn't you say? Well, I- exactly. And, and this is why I've been on this kind of campaign recently that we, we need to change how we relate to animals, how we think about animals, how we talk about animals, because the research is showing that animals are very evolved. They are high-level thinkers. They feel emotions. And if we as humans don't accept that and accept the scientific research showing what animals know, then really who's the dummy? Well, and there's some people out there shaking their heads saying, you know, my dog really is stupid. You don't know what you're talking about, lady. Or my cat, hip, dumb, dumb, dumb. You know, all he ever does is scratch the couch. Can't even find the litter box. Okay, those are behavioral problems. Those are attitude problems. And that's a lot more about you than the cat or the dog. But, <laughs> but, uh, but they, they really are gifted in ways we're not. You know, recently a cat saved a family from a house fire. The cat chose to stand its ground as the house was on fire and meow and meow and meow and wake the entire family. It could have left. You know, most people don't think of cats in that way. And dogs, we do respect and appreciate their loyalty and their dedication to us, but I don't think we appreciate how gifted they are. Like, for example, 
I used to be a dog walker for years, and I'm going to give you two examples of this. One that I, can, I know and one that you'll all know um, of how smart dogs are. And you'll see it every day and you might not notice. But in my case, I used to get lost a lot. I'd be out with 8, 10, 15 dogs somewhere, big forest trails outside Vancouver or some beach or mountain or something. And it was time to go home. Traffic would be getting bad. The dogs needed to be dropped off, and I could not find my car. I was loving the whole experience, you know. But dogs were getting trained, and we were all walking and hiking and loving the nature. But good God, where's my car? So after a while, I realized, you know, the dogs never, I thought about it. And I thought, this is not a long distance for them. Dogs are made to travel farther, much, much farther. The wolf, the fox, the coyote. So they always know where the car is. They could probably smell it. They just don't know that that's what I'm looking for. So I started to teach them. I just put a treat on the car and I'd teach them one at a time and walk 10 feet away from the car and say, go find the car and run up to the car with them, give them the treat, unleash. Then go a little farther, do it again, a little farther, do it again. Okay, now we've got a dog who will, as soon as you say, go find the car, he will. He knows what you're saying and he runs to the car. And you don't always have to leave a treat on it. You can have a treat inside the car that you give him later once he's advanced or, you know, just pets in a ball. But the point is, you get to the point where your dog can always find the car and then it really blows you away because you can literally literally get completely lost on purpose and tell your dog to find the car. And it's amazing how quickly they find that car. Put a leash on them because he may find it without you. <laughs> but they're really, really good at this, way better than you'll ever be. So that's one example. And another example that almost everybody out there seen if you have a dog is the bait and switch. People tell me dogs can't reason or dogs aren't smart. Okay, if you're a dog or you may have ever seen another dog, do this at a park. They want a toy and they want a specific toy. So they take a different toy that they don't want as much and they act like it's the best toy in the world. Then the other bigger, faster dog comes over and takes the toy they're pretending to love and they get to go back to the one they really want. Now, I'm sure you've seen this. You have to. It's at every dog park. That's bait and switch. That's reasoning. That's more than just reasoning. It's cunning. It's deception. It's, it's brilliant. And that's canine. So, Allie, we're running out of time. We're coming to the end of the show. What would you like people to know? And tell them again how they can find you and your book, please. Well, you can find my book and my website at www.allie, A-L-L-I-E, Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, dot com. You can join me on Facebook. Just search You Can Do More for Animals. And join the conversation. We, we have some wonderful conversations going on, particularly this week, as I get involved in some uh, very innovative thinking on how to help animals. And stay tuned to my website. My next book will be coming out uh, later this year. It's called Descending the Defenseless, How to Become an Animal Advocate. Thank you, Allie. I hope we can have you back on the show in the future. That was a great, great party. So thank you very much. Thank you. I I love being on this show and talking to you. You you challenged me to think, and I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you spreading the word and the message about how to protect the animals. Oh, thank you very much. Now I'm wagging my tail like a smart little border collie. The teacher said I was smart. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. 1,200 words like this one, though. That's pretty incredible, that dog. He was in the news. His name's Chaser. And he knows more than a thousand words. Yeah, he's the smartest pooch ever, they say. I believe it. I'd love to be with him. 
He looks fantastic. I got a thing for herding dogs, though. This one looks really keen. You know, over the weekend, Allie, I had the pleasure of helping a litter come into the world. And it was really interesting because it was a golden retriever mom. And she's got these puppies coming out, and there's three and four, and they're all doing well. Everybody's good. And in the middle of it all, she goes running outside with her tennis ball. Okay, like, it's three in the morning. It's pouring rain. The last thing I want right now is to go play fetch with this dog. And I'm thinking, are you even done? I think you have more puppies. Like, this is not good. So I stay with the puppies. And I've already got it gated off a bit. So she can't go far. But it's a long labor. She needed some access to the outside. So out she goes running with her tennis ball. And I'm thinking, oh, no, we are not going to play fetch. This is not a good time for fetch. So I'm sitting there playing with the puppies, making sure they're okay, these newborns. And it's getting too long. I put my coat on. I grab my flashlight. I start to go to the door. Just as I get to the door, she comes bursting in with what looks like a big, muddy tennis ball. And I go back to the puppies, and I show her, come on, come on, come come sit down. And she sits down, and she tosses this thing into my lap. And it's disgusting. It's covered in mud. I'm about to throw it on the floor. When I realize it's a puppy, she's actually in the mood. Yeah, she's been trying to play fetch. She had a puppy. And it's fine. It's perfectly fine. It's squirming as I wipe it all off and get the mud off and hand it to her to lick. And then seconds, it's nursing and all is well. But she's still looking at the ball. She still wants the ball. So later, she gives birth to another puppy. Later, she goes out and gets the ball, comes back in. And at the end of all of it, there she is sleeping with eight puppies on her belly and the tennis ball on top of her head. And it just made me so envious. I mean, when I was giving birth to children, there's no way I would have played fetch, okay? No way. I couldn't even read a newspaper. The dogs handle things so well. She has my complete admiration. She did such a great job. And if you guys, if anyone listening wants to see pictures of these newborn, beautiful puppies and mom... And all the things that happened on January 15th, late at night, started the 14th, ended the 16th. It was a long haul, but we did it. Uh, You can see the pictures on Facebook, Deborah Wolf Pet Expert on Facebook. Check it out. And there's some stories there, too. So thank you again, Allie. And uh, I hope everyone who wants to help with animals will check you out online and uh, get your book and start making the world a better place for animals and kids. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. All right. We'll be back with the party next week, everybody. Be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets. Every week, on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.